0: Turn with me to Mark chapter 14 as we continue our study in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 14, we'll be looking at verses 12 through 21 this morning. Before we do so, let's go again to the Lord in prayer and ask that he would help us as we open his word. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we need your help because on our best days, we just see a not so clear picture of what your will is for this world, for our lives, what we should know about you, how we should act on our best days. And on our worst, it's much more difficult than that. And so as we stand here, some of us on our best days and some of us on our worst, we need all of you to come and help us this morning as we open your word, that we would learn from it, that we might gain wisdom, that we might see your authority in this world, that we might understand your hope for us, the comfort that you give us, Help us to see all of those things as we go to your word this morning. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. As I read this passage, there's this really sharp tension between this uh, Judas is getting ready to betray Jesus and then Jesus having to kind of prepare for what is his final week in life. And I see these two paths going in diverging places. And it made me think of John Bunyan's book, A Pilgrim's Progress. And there's this part in this book where the main character, a Christian, comes to a hill. And this hill is called Hill Difficulty. The book is an allegory, so everything tends to be named based on what you'd expect it to kind of be named, I guess. And he's traveling with two people, and those two people have allegorical names. Their names are Hypocrisy and Formalist. And he comes to this hill, and at the bottom of the hill is a spring That he can drink from and as he's getting ready to ascend the hill, he takes a drink to refresh himself and Christian begins the difficult climb up the hill, which is the correct way to go on the path that he's going. However, his travel mates, hypocrisy and formalists, they see paths that are going around the hill on either side and these paths seemingly meet on the other side of the hill and they would be a much easier path to take as opposed to going Over the hill. So they take the paths going around and the paths that they take lead to both danger and destruction. That's the names of the actual places that those paths lead to. Again, very good book. If you haven't read that, it's probably free on Amazon for you to do that and it's worth your time 100%. But we have that same picture in our text today. We're dealing with the preparation of the Passover meal As well as the difficulty of Jesus announcing to his friends, his disciples, the twelve, in the upper room, that one of them is about to betray him. And on the other hand, you have Jesus, who is doing the most difficult thing he's ever had to do. Judas is taking the road that is often traveled, that is easy, that leads to death. And so we're going to consider those two paths because they're really the only two paths in life. Jesus talked about this elsewhere as he talked about the narrow path and that leads to life and the wide path that leads to death and the path that's often traveled is the one that the wide path and the one that few go down is the narrow path. This is a picture of our lives, even even our lives in Christ, because as Christians, we must every day choose to keep the way of Christ and submit to his holy word in our lives. Absolutely. It'd be easy for us to turn all of that off. That we're in Christ, but we have to be vigilant in our pursuit of holiness and and, and pursuit of submitting to his word. So as we consider this passage, I want to divide it into three points. The path of the master, talking about Jesus, the path of the evil one, of course, Judas, and then the path of the Christian for us. And so as we look at this, let's look at this text together. Mark chapter 14, starting at verse 12, please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Mark 14, starting at verse 12. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room? And where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one of you who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one after another, is it I? And he said to them, it is the one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as, as is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So just remember our context where we're at in this book and in this particular passage this is Passover week in Jerusalem and as they're going along this we're going to get a more full look at what Passover means particularly next week as they share the Passover and as Jesus institutes what we call the Lord's Supper we're going to get a more full look of what the Passover looks like and what Christ is and who he means or what he means in that Supper but this week we're just going to spend time right here as opposed to Building All that other information but the event that's happening right here it's important for us to remember though the significance of this Passover in the event or this Passover event in the life of the Jewish person. This was their most important holiday I mean, if you go back and read in the Exodus you see why they celebrate this it celebrates their deliverance from Egypt and God's faithfulness of keeping a covenant people for himself all throughout the ages. And in the midst of this Roman occupation, think about where Jerusalem is right then as these words are being written or the story they're being written about, this sense is likely heightened, right? They're wanting deliverance again. The people are looking for God to deliver them from their enemies and bring them into this promised land, this ultimate place that God has promised for them, that they would be. Little did most of them know, some of them knew, obviously, some of them knew that it was Jesus, but. God had come and he was living among them and he plans to bring this ultimate redemptive act in the next few days and it's going to come to fruition and this Passover is the very beginning of this. So that brings us to the first point, the path of the master. Look look with me again at verses 12 through 16. I'll kind of paraphrase what's going on here. It's the first day of the of unleavened bread and they sacrifice the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, He says, Where will you have us go and prepare to eat the Passover? And then Jesus describes this thing that they're going to be looking for, right? They're going to see a man who's carrying water, and he's going to go into a house, and they're supposed to go in there with him, and they're going to say a certain thing, and that this house is going to be ready for them. And then these two disciples are going to go and they're going to prepare the feast, and everything's going to be ready. It's really interesting the way this reads. You know, go into a city, and a man will be carrying a jar of water. He will meet you. It almost reminds me of like reading some or watching some sort of spy movie, you know, like the the Bourne movies, you know, where Jason Bourne is kind of surveying the situation, and he's looking at all these people, and to you and I, it just looks like a normal situation, but for him, he, he sees all these things that we don't see, and then all of a sudden, some guy picks something up and maybe looks at his watch, and then all of a sudden, this whole action scene breaks out because and all that meant something right well there's this guy that's going to be carrying water he's going to go into a house and those kinds of things are lost on us today because we don't have people carrying water throughout town and you know because we have more running water in our houses so it's a little bit different but each day someone had to go to the well and get water and typically that was the women that lived in the house in fact certain times a day, you could probably see every matriarch in the village at the well at certain times gathering water for their families, gathering water for cooking or whatever it was going to be used for. So notice what Jesus had them look for. A man carrying water. It would have been an abnormal thing to see for sure, a man carrying water. And this was probably all set up ahead of time. There's two ways to look at this, I guess. You can see this God kind of orchestrating these signs. Obviously, he's doing that and he's using the people as pawns god is orchestrating these things people involved here just part of the plan i kind of like that looking at it as if the man carrying water the whoever owned the house that they go into were all part of this they were probably christ followers as well and they were preparing a place for jesus this was probably an inn of some sort that had this large upper room as a guest room Remember, Jesus had followers all over the place. As we get into the book of Acts in particular, you start to see this, right? He has followers all over the place. And I'd like to think that this man carrying water was just kind of one of those. We don't know, but I think that's pretty cool to think that. So the disciples are asked to prepare the meal for the whole group. The Passover meal is upon them. And that's what we see in this next little section as they're eating the Passover meal together. And this might all seem really plain to us, right? Because it's really just, it's kind of plain for us and normal because Jesus, it's normal for us to see Jesus submitting to the will of the Father, walking this path that was made for him, even though it was the most difficult thing any man had ever done or ever will do, the most difficult thing, Jesus left his throne on high, he became man, was born as a helpless baby, and now he is a willing participant in the plans that will lead to his betrayal His death at the hands of one of his own friends. And Jesus is a willing participant in that. As we read through these last chapters, we're going to see more of this idea come to pass. More than any other time in the Gospels. Over and over, we read that Jesus is directly submitting to the decree of God concerning the redemption of his covenant people. Sometimes we even hear this coming out of the mouth of Jesus. Your will be done. Jesus was the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. These were his plans too. Yet, he was also Jesus, Mary's son, a carpenter, a teacher, a friend to many. He was a man, and he had a very difficult road to walk. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. think oftentimes as we live in our lives and we think about our own difficulties and struggles and the path that we have to walk we forget that we have one who has walked it before us hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 and 15 read this or listen to this concerning our lord jesus since then we have a great high priest jesus who has Passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. this goes great with what we talked about in Sunday school this morning from Romans chapter 8, that we have one who intercedes on our behalf and who is able to comfort us. Well, Jesus went through those things he knows we can't possibly think of a way that we might be tempted that jesus hasn't jesus hasn't already dealt with and walked through personally he's not able only able to sympathize with our weaknesses but he is able to hold our hands as we personally walk through them not only was he a man tempted by sin but he is also the risen lord at the right hand of the Father Almighty, we have one who is not only able to sympathize, but one who is able to do something for us and with us. Hebrews twelve, I don't have to turn there, but Hebrews twelve calls Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith. I quote from that a lot, it's one of my favorite passages. And that word author really doesn't capture the fullness of that word there. The word pioneer, our word pioneer, is probably a better word. It wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to read the word pioneer there in, the, in Hebrews chapter 12. So that's why they choose author. But when we read pioneer, what do we think about? We think about this in this state in particular. We think about making paths. Making a path for someone else to walk. That path may be difficult, but it's the right path. Jesus has walked that path already. Not only has he walked them again, but he has made them passable For us, it was a difficult path for Jesus, and he walked it nonetheless and was without sin. And so that when we come to Judas now, we have a picture of one who sees this difficult road before him and chooses the easy path instead. And that brings me to the next point, the path of the evil one. Look with me again at 17 through 18, Mark chapter 14. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at the table... And eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. So imagine this scene here. They were having Passover. They were at their secret little place, having a Passover meal in the upper room. Everyone is having a good time, enjoying each other's company. They're soaking in the meaning of this event, all these Jewish men together, understanding what it means. They're here with their Savior, their Lord. They're here with each other as friends. And then Jesus stops all the festivity, and he says, someone in this room is about to betray me. That would be tough. We know from other accounts, other gospel accounts, if you read Matthew in particular, it pinpoints that Judas is the one who's going to do that. He is, And he even dips his... Bread in the bowl with Jesus. And he even leaves right then. It says he goes out into the night. But Mark doesn't get into that. Rather he keeps focused on the significance of the meal itself. Verse 19. They began to be sorrowful. Of course they would begin to be sorrowful. They began to be sorrowful. And they say to him. One after another. Is it I? And we all know this scene. Either we've been a part of it. Or we've seen it happen to us. Some of us both. It's like when a parent approaches a group of kids and they say something's been done, whatever that something is. And they say to the kids, all right, who did it? And they all start looking around like they don't know. Even the one who did it is looking around like they don't know who did it either. So imagine here this scene. Jesus says, one of you is about to betray me. And there's 11 men there who aren't going to betray Jesus, at least for 30 pieces of silver. And Judas is with them. Is it I, Lord? He's already betrayed Jesus. We've already read that. Judas knew the good that he ought to have been doing, and he didn't do it. Well, in scriptures, and the book of James in particular, James calls this sin, knowing the good thing that we ought to be doing and not doing it. And that's no surprise to us, right, that this is called sin. And that might be a problem, that sin doesn't surprise us anymore. In Genesis chapter 4, we've all read the story of Cain and Abel, right? When God accepted Abel's gift, Abel sacrificed the animal, and God was pleased with that gift. Cain sacrificed his produce, and God wasn't happy with Cain's gift for whatever reason, and Cain got upset. And God goes to Cain. He knew that Cain was upset. He could see in his heart what he was about to do, how this was making him feel. And he went to him. And what did he say to Cain? You might remember. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire, sin's desire, is to rule over you. But you must rule over it. Let me know the end of that story. Cain went out and killed his brother. We know that story in our own lives. We act on that sin so many times. And we see it here with Judas. is Judas walks up to his own hill difficulty in his life. This hill that is a difficult hill to climb that's right in front of him, though there are two seemingly easy paths on that are going around the hill. It's a place that we've all been to, probably in this morning already for some of you. You've been there, and it's a choice that you have to make. The hill will be difficult. We know that it's hard. But the other paths will be easier, and it might end badly if we go down those paths. It just might, but it might not. And so many times we choose what might end badly rather than what we know will be hard. Jesus said in John chapter 8 that whoever practices sin is a slave to sin. Paul said something similar in Romans 8. that Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. And the flesh is hostile to God. Judas came to this place and chose to enter in. And once he did, he was in so deep, having betrayed the Son of Man, that there was no turning back for him. He made a mistake that so many make, thinking that there's no way, there's no way possible that this sin will rule over me. I've got a handle on it. I'm able to deal with it. Therefore, it's okay for me. It might not be okay for you. But what happens to Judas? He finally succumbs to this. He's not able to control it. And we all know the rest of his story as well. Maybe Judas should have remembered the story of Cain and Abel. Maybe he might have done otherwise. Sin was crouching at his door and it would seek to rule over him. It's waiting. And every chance that you give it, it's going to be harder and harder to turn away from it. You'll become a slave to it, answering to it, rather than submitting to God. And at that point, what does Jesus say about this person who betrays the Son of Man? It would have been, rather, it would have been better it had he not even been born. Taking the path of danger and destruction going back to the pilgrim's progress rather than taking the path of life what about as Christians how do we see this we have to be careful because while sin is something that we has been defeated in Christ absolutely we must not give it power we must not give it a chance to be near because if you give it an inch it will take a mile and the mere and a mere thought can lead Into this whole other path. And these mere thoughts that we have. Represent even betrayals of the son of God. We must master it. Lest it become our masters. And that brings us. To the question. How do we do that then. In Christ. Well it brings us to the path of the Christian. The third point. Unfortunately. When you read the other gospel accounts. You find that we don't have a happy ending. For Jesus, Since control over him. Had left him so inconsolable that he took his own life he never understood the victory that he could have over sin he never understood what the passover meal that they were eating together that that represented that victory over sin and death but jesus shows us the way that we ought to go as we said earlier about doing this himself now we may say well i'm not jesus absolutely we're not exactly we can't possibly be expected to be perfect to deal with sin the way that he did to overcome temptation the way that he did but that's just it brothers and sisters in christ he did it the work is done and so what do we need to do we just need to walk down that path jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith he is the pioneer that has cleared the path that has made that path passable for us it's a narrow road Few will travel, fewer and fewer as the days get darker, but in the end is the prize, Jesus Christ. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4, we'll look, or not 4, 12, and we'll look at that, because I think that passage is really good for helping us understand this idea. If you read Hebrews chapter 11, you read a a whole chapter full of people who walked that path. Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. And those people that walk that path, they're the ones that the writer of Hebrews calls the, this great cloud of witnesses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. There he is. He's finished the race. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary and faint hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. What is that telling us? As bad as we have it, we haven't yet had it that bad. Jesus has traveled that road. Now he waits for us. And his waiting is not passive. He's not waiting there, twiddling his thumbs, just waiting for us to do our part as well. Because he's right here with us every single step of the way. And all along, we know the path that we walk on is a path that he has gone before. So that we know that he absolutely understands what we are going through. He's not only had the sins of the world on his shoulders, but he had betrayal from his friends. He was being attacked by the rulers of his people. The most powerful army in the world was against him. He would publicly be killed in the most gruesome way. And he would walk that path so that you and I might have salvation. So that when I walk that path, I'm not having to earn that salvation at all. He's already done that for me, but I'm walking it for his glory. And when we, when he walked it, he took my sin and he nailed it to the cross and he gave me his righteousness so that when you and I walk it, we now show these things to be true. He has done this. When I'm walking with him, I show that to be true. We show that we're not a slave to sin. We've been set free in Christ and in him we are truly free. And all along the way that we travel, there are signs that he is here with us. And that's the great part. In the story, that story back in Pilgrim's Progress, there was a spring at the bottom of the hill. Why do you think it was there? Christian began his journey. It was there for him. And if you read that story, it's really, I'm going to read a section of it here. It says this. It says, I looked then after Christian to see him go up the hill where I perceived he fell from running to going. And from going to clamoring upon his hands and his knees because of the steepness of the place. Now about midway to the top of the hill was a pleasant arbor made by the Lord of the hill for the refreshing of weary travelers. Isn't that incredible? It's a picture of our own lives. As we walk through this difficult path, there's going to be times of difficulty, but we know that all along the way, he prepares a place for us. He's right here with us. He walks with us. And so the question for us this morning is, are you weary? Has the narrow road made you tired? Are the difficulties of life weighing you down? They probably are if you're like me. We have a lot of hard things in our lives right now. We all share so many of them. Rather than take them on yourself, rest in Christ. He's already been there. Not only did he do it, but he did it well and he did it well for you and for I so that we wouldn't have to, so that we could rest. And so therefore rest in him. And if you're an unbeliever. Have that rest too. call out to him. And I'm sure you've seen over the past year that there's no comfort in anything else. There's no comfort in science. They don't even know what they're talking about half the time. There's no comfort in medicine. There's no comfort in politics or anything else. Call out to Jesus and be saved. He is Lord over all and he alone Can give you peace. And in conclusion. Sin is crouching at the door. And that's for all of us. Whether we're a believer or an unbeliever. And it would master you. You must rule over it. And so then who should we trust in? Well we should trust in the one who not only rules over it. But has completely defeated it. Has nailed it to the cross. Once and for all. He will lead us through. And brothers and sisters in Christ, be a guide to the lost world as well. They're watching us. They're seeing how we navigate this situation in our lives, the decisions we make, the things that we talk about. Let's be ones who show Jesus as the author, as the pioneer, and the perfecter of our faith. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, it is good to know, it's comforting to know that you have been here that you have done this that you are not surprised by the difficulties that we have even though we are only ever surprised so we reach out to you the one who is never surprised not only that who right now is at the right hand of the father interceding on our behalf lord help us pray for us as we struggle in this life give us strength give us your mercy Lord, help us not only that, but to be a light to others, to show them where we find hope. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.